0: you're listening to the Douglas Jacoby podcast. Here, we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John, now looking at lesson 14. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. And here's today's teaching. A Tour Through John, lesson number 14. Yesterday, we made it to the middle of chapter 6. We also surveyed the seven I am statements, which are so important to the structure of John and for us to understand the identity of Jesus. We read uh, today from 637 all the way uh, to the end. Everything the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, what is going on here? It seems as though Jesus is saying, you can only come to him if God has specially chosen you, and probably only a few people are chosen. Uh, It seems to support, when it's read in a cursory manner, um, Calvinism the notion that God has determined who would be saved and damned before they are even born, and there's nothing we can do to change it. It's not a doctrine that I believe in, although. Calvinists have all kinds of verses um, that they take from the New Testament, trying to prove this doctrine. So we'll need to talk about this a little bit today, because it's a uh, that that doctrinal system of Calvinism, you know, predestination, and so forth, has has affected uh, so many places where I've traveled. So many people have been kind of sucked into it. Well, uh, the Jews are upset. Um, they're upset because they can't imagine how Jesus could be God and man. I mean, you know, they say, we know your family, and yet you say you come down from heaven. That that was the classic question in theology, a focus of debate for two centuries in the early church. How is Jesus man and God? Is he half of one and half of the other? Or does he just appear to be one or the other? How could he be both? It's a concept that's hard for fleshly people to accept, particularly those on channel two, right? Spiritual bread is hard to comprehend. The notion of Eating and especially drinking blood would be shocking to an Orthodox Jew, and we're going to be coming up to that in the next section. There's just a lot of misunderstanding, and uh, the grumbling is very much like the grumbling of the Jews in the desert that we read about in Numbers 16 or Exodus 16, places like that. And Jesus, of course, tells him to stop grumbling, and he adds several vital truths. We must be drawn to God, verse 44. Uh, again, that sounds like we don't really have a choice. However, uh, we do have a choice. I'll explain that in a moment. In John 12, 32, Jesus said that if I'm lifted up from the earth, or when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men uh, to myself. Everyone comes to God. God draws them through the power of the cross. 12, 32, when I'm lifted up, when Jesus was lifted up, uh, people were drawn through the power of his death to God. It's kind of like with the bronze serpent back in John 3, uh, numbers 21. If someone wasn't looking at the serpent on the pole, the one Moses made, then they wouldn't have been healed of their deadly uh, snake bite. Uh, the same way if we don't look to Christ, we won't be healed, but God's not going to force anybody. Now the force, of the Holy spirit can transform us. If we're open to the truth, uh, 717. Actually, I compare this sometimes to water skiing. The boat draws you. It pulls you, but never without your permission. As long as you hang on uh, and you know, you're kind of inclined in the right direction, you can water ski. But no one forces you, but it's a tremendous power um, when you align your will with the, the will of, let's say, the boat. Uh, I find also quite helpful Second Thessalonians 2. And uh, I'll read that in a moment. Uh, let me, let's first uh, talk about Luke 5. The end of In Luke 5, 31, 32, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now there Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. you would say, I thought he came to call everybody. Well, of course he did. But those who don't realize that they need a physician aren't going to hear the call because they won't have ears to hear. If we understand that we're sinners, if we understand that, that we, we, we need to repent, then we hear his voice. Second Thessalonians 2, 13-15 But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast, and I'll stop right there. This is useful because it speaks of God choosing us, that was in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, and calling us. So there's the calling and the choosing. We're called through the proclamation of the good news. Now, whoever hears the gospel message is called. I mean, God's calling out, just like wisdom calling out in the book of Proverbs, to the wise and the simple. He calls out, or I should say she calls out, wisdom is feminine. And then it says that God chose you for salvation. God chooses us, and yet we're called through the gospel. Are the Calvinists right? Is it something of a formality because it's already been determined whether we'll be saved or not? No, I don't think so. We're called through the gospel. If we say yes to the gospel, if we embrace it, if we accept Jesus, uh, think of John one twelve, John 12.48. 12 if we accept him, that is accepting what he says, then God chooses us. So we say yes to his invitation, then he chooses us. He doesn't force us, and we absolutely have free will, something the early church took seriously and believed in. I hope that's useful. Um because uh, verses simply taken out of context uh, can be made to appear something uh, uh, to, to support a doctrine that's very different. The first verse we read uh, a moment ago uh, says, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. Now, the Calvinist would say, if you come to Jesus, then you can never leave. Uh, it's kind of like in John 10, uh, no one snatches my sheep away. Well, right, he doesn't drive us away if we're willing. Um, The sheep cannot be taken, but they can wander away. They have the free will. God has his will. The point is to align our will with his will. So these waters are very deep. God's knowledge of the future, what that entails, um, our uh, calling and and election. And I would simply say the calling is through the gospel. The election is a response to our response. Jesus says, we will all be taught by God. And that's an allusion to um, Isaiah 54, 13. And we'll be taught by God. Again, Jesus is saying, hey, guys, um, don't you see God? Faith is essential for everlasting life. It's absolutely essential. Uh, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. We continue. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. See, he repeats the the I am statement. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So. We have the repetition of the I Am Statement. He refers to the desert generation. Most of them didn't have faith. Certainly, they were all called to have faith. They were all included in the the mission, Exodus 19, in the law, Exodus 20 uh, to 24 and following. They were called, uh, but very few actually were willing to, to live by faith. We think of Joshua and Caleb. So God doesn't force us. Well, as mentioned before, uh, it's very hard to accept this idea that we're going to be eating this guy. Uh, His flesh and blood sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Uh, Just a few more comments, and then we'll go to the last paragraph. Uh, The way Jesus phrases this was almost certainly going to cause confusion among those who didn't want to listen. Because it sounds like he's saying you have to not only eat me, which would be completely forbidden, in the kosher laws, you don't eat humans, and drink his blood. And blood is forbidden. Uh, Drinking of blood uh, was actually forbidden, or eating meat with the blood still in it was forbidden by the early church, by the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. I know today a lot of Christians would say it doesn't really apply to us. I'm not so sure about that. But the thought of drinking blood uh, like a a vampire or a ghoul is— is unthinkable. And so the language that we would be probably wanting to give Jesus some advice on on how he phrased things, but he's very provocative. It's quite deliberate. And uh, we see also that he was teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum. Now, there is a a synagogue built right on top of the foundations of Jesus's synagogue, the one back then. The capacity of that structure, uh, and if you go there, you'll see it would have limited the crowd to hundreds, not the thousands, like in Luke twelve or or earlier in John six when he, he feeds the the five thousand men. Um, no, it's a, this is a different occasion. He's in Capernaum and uh, he's in the synagogue, so it would be very hard to hear unless you were in the synagogue or or at the door, and so that would be a, a crowd probably of hundreds. All right, when many of his disciples heard it and heard it is this teaching about um, me being the bread of life. Uh, They said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you, there are some who do not believe. Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. So the hard teaching seems to refer to everything from verse 35, the I Am Statement, uh, up to 59. And that's the exact response of people today who find undiluted Christianity a bit too inconvenient for their lifestyles. This is totally applicable in our situation. Jesus knew the message would be offensive to some, but he doesn't water it down. Instead, he asked us whether we're willing to keep following him. Right? Jesus' ascension, uh, that was 40 days after Pentecost, that would prove that he spoke the truth. That is, he went back to the Father, and that his words uh, must not be compromised. We, we just tend to serve our own interests, don't we? We want to work our way to God our, on our terms. that's what the Bible calls the flesh. It's not physical flesh is not bad, not useless, that's good. that's very good. But the flesh, our willfulness, our, our stubbornness, our 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 placing of trust, confidence in us or people instead of in God is the flesh. Without being open to the spirit, we're not going to gain anything. So humanistic religion, fleshly religion, is ultimately worthless. Jesus describes his words as spirit and life. His words bring life. If you're listening to this podcast and you've never become a Christian, I hope that by this point, we're in lesson 14, you're realizing the power and the life of Jesus' words and that you will not resist that, but let the Father draw you to himself. Now, those who didn't believe, well, they were known to Jesus from the beginning. They weren't enabled by the Father because they didn't accept Jesus and his message. God's sovereignty, again, it does not override free will. He knows all of our thoughts and actions, past, present, and future. But that doesn't mean he caused them, and it doesn't mean that we can't make true changes. Uh, then there's the reference to uh, Judas. Uh, we'll see that in the next section. Let's, um, let's just read the last couple of verses. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed with him. Jesus asked the twelve, "Do you also wish to go away?" Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom How can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God." And Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you the twelve? Yet one of you, one of you is a devil." He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is a mass defection. Now, the synagogue uh, crowd, it's in the hundreds, maybe a, a defection of hundreds. Again, I used to read this as defection of thousands when I realized, oh no, there's a context here. It's a synagogue message. But when the majority of the crowd finally reject the demands of discipleship and they take off, um, hundreds were walking away from Jesus. I wonder what that felt like. And, and for the apostles to realize that maybe they wouldn't have left if Jesus hadn't spoken so strongly. You know, those crowds who wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force, 615, they vanish. When he shows that his kingdom is not of this world, they don't want that. They want the things of the world. Jesus does nothing to try to bring them back. No public relations expert was brought in to make the gospel message more appealing. I mean, it's just undiluted. He puts it out there. Yet those who've heard Jesus's voice know that there's nowhere else to go. Yet Judas left. He's described as a devil. You know, there's still maybe theoretically hope for him at this point. He's not You know, given the money to the the high priest, to the establishment, uh, yet and Satan has not entered him. Very strong language we find in Luke 22, 3. So Satan's not entered him, yet he's on a very bad course, and Jesus knows what's going to happen. But as far as Judas and his free will go, there's still hope, but he's going to cross the point of no return. Every generation of the church is called to keep the faith of the apostles and not join the error of Judas. You and I are called to follow the Lord and keep the faith proclaimed by the apostles and not join the error of Judas who put trust in the flesh. Now, Peter's words, his response it was, it was great. <laughs> I think these are words that, that may have come to our mind if we've ever been tempted to stop following the Lord when things are tough. And he says, to whom shall we go? Now, you could say that very confidently, you know, why would I ever want to leave you, Lord? You've been so good to me. Or you could say, well, to whom shall we go? Yeah, I want to leave, but, you know, wherever we go, <laughs> um, doesn't really make sense. Hopefully, we say those words with great conviction, but either way, it's a logical choice. Stay with Jesus. He's the sure thing. Well, have I ever been t- tempted to walk away from the Lord? Have I even contemplated it? If I did, what prevented me? Am I regularly feeding my faith so when the going gets tough, I can resist unproductive and irrational thoughts, that I can resist the flesh and put my confidence in Jesus? These words speak to all of us of every generation, and they also show us who preach the word, who who teach and speak to numbers of people, that we're not to back down. And that means we're going to have to distinguish ourselves from the broader evangelical world, which is sadly, quite conformed to the world. Lord, we thank you so much for these words, these um, life-giving words of Jesus, explaining to us what it means that he is the bread of life, showing us the power of his word to draw, uh, to uh, conserve, to maintain, even to repel when the heart's not right. Throughout this day, Oh, God, give us ears to hear. Let us hear your word. Let us hear your voice. Let us hear the cries of those around us who need you at all times. Give us the strongest conviction we've ever had. We thank you for your word, for your son. And we pray that you will use us today to be your hands, to reach out to a lost world. Um, amen. Tomorrow, we'll continue with the beginning of John chapter 7. Uh, thanks. God bless. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on a tour through John. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.